Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our week ahead snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the week ahead, enabling you the gift of choice in how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I wanted to talk to you about the upcoming Mars-Neptune opposition on September 2nd, followed by the Venus-Pluto square on September 5th. I thought long and hard about these planetary aspects, and two words eventually came to mind, renunciation and sacrifice. Now, those probably sound like some pretty heavy words. Renunciation is the idea of giving up a claim that you have on something, whereas sacrifice is basically to let it go. Neither of these ideas, renunciation or sacrifice, are particularly popular or attractive ideas in our current society. We believe that one should fight for something to the bitter end if need be, and sacrifice? Sacrifice is the sort of thing that turns you into a doormat that other people go and wipe their feet on. Nevertheless, the notions of renunciation and sacrifice are very much bound up in the planets Neptune and Pluto, which are going to be playing such a very strong role this week. I thought long and hard about what would sort of exemplify something along these, these lines. And what I thought of eventually was one of my favorite play cycles that was written by the Irish playwright William Butler Yeats in the early 20th century. William Butler Yeats may be familiar to some of you, well, obviously because he's a very famous Irish playwright, but he also may be familiar to some of you because of his keen interest in the occult. He had a very uh, strong association with the Golden Dawn and had more than just a passing acquaintance with the magician Alistair Crowley. But in any case, Yeats in the early 20th century, was a big proponent of Irish mythology and used a lot of it in his poetry. And one of the examples here was his Cúhalan cycle. The Cúhalan cycle is made up of four plays. They are On Baya's Strand, At the Hawk's Well, The Only Jealousy of Emer, and The Death of Cúhalan. Now, my favorite of the four plays is The Only Jealousy of Emer. That's the one that I feel has the most fraught drama involved and also the most beautiful poetry of these four plays. Basically, Cúhalan is the Irish version of Greek's Hercules or Germany's Siegfried. He's a young hero who goes off on all kinds of adventures, fights all of these battles, and sleeps with an uncountable amount of women. Um, in uh, the Irish mythology, Cúhalan has a queen, a wife, and her name is Emer. Emer is the uh, daughter of a very influential chieftain, and she marries Cúhalan at a very young age. Uh, well, not a young age. I mean, they're like 18 or 19. Um, and he goes off on these adventures, and she really hasn't seen him for years. And in fact, 
you know, is at home and hears about all the battles he's fought, the enemies he's vanquished, and of course, the women he slept with. Nevertheless, she has always stayed true to him. She has never broken her vow to him. And if anything, she has looked the other way when it comes to all of these affairs. Our story picks up after the fight at Balya's Strand. Uh, there's a sort of skirmish among men in which Kuhalan, you know, in a blaze of anger, takes out a sword and, you know, chops off the head of this fellow who, who's on the wrong side of an argument with him. And it's only at the moment that he kills this fellow that he realizes uh, that he's an old friend or, or maybe a kinsman. I, I, I don't remember which, but it's one of the two. Um, someone he hasn't seen in years and suddenly in, in with this person de death and the blood on his hands realizes who he was. And he's horrified and he lets out this howl and his men back away. You know, they haven't heard a scream like this. He lets out this howl and he turns and he sees the ocean and he takes out his sword and he rushes towards the ocean, stops at the shore at the shoreline and then picks up his sword and begins swinging at the waves. In his fevered mind, he sees the waves of the ocean as this unstoppable army of enemy soldiers, but to the soldiers, he's cleaving off the, the crests of the waves, uh, screaming and hollering like he's involved in battle at them. And eventually he, he, he goes deeper, and so the waves overcome him and drag him into the deep, and the soldiers are his, his soldiers and his comrades are standing there horrified, thinking they've just lost the greatest hero in their lifetime. But eventually his body uh, washes up on the shore and the soldiers happy go and try to revive him, but he's inert. He's like in a coma. He's, his, he's dwelling in this place between the living world and the supernatural. Now in Irish mythology, the ocean is the realm of the she. These are supernatural watery spirits who are described as the fishermen of men's souls. They come to men and women in their sleep and they fish for their souls. And the ones that are not really attached to this world or, or are perhaps too sensitive or, or too involved in, in self-trauma or whatever, they're kind of snatched away by the she and taken to the ocean and their bodies are emptied and left for dead. And this is precisely what has happened to Kuhalan. So Kuhalan's body is brought back to the hut, uh, the, the kingly hut or whatever, some sort of out, out, outlying hut. Um, and Emer is called to his side. And remember, she hasn't seen him in a number of years, but Emer is a practical queen. And yes, there are such a thing as practical queens. But anyway, Imer is a practical queen, and she knows that she's not going to be the only one who can revive Kuhalan. So she calls for one of Kuhalan's famous mistresses, and her name is Ithna Inguba. And Ithna Inguba has sweet-smelling hair and luscious lips, and you know she's very uh, well endowed. And so Ithna Inguba comes to Kuhalan's side, and she weeps, and she throws her hair on him, and she holds him close, and all these sorts of things, but not even the wiles and the, the seduction of Ethna Inguba can bring back uh, the disembodied soul of Kuhalan. And it's at that moment that Brikru, who is basically um, the trickster god of the Shi, emerges to strike a deal 
with Emer. And he says to Emer, my name is Brikru, and I'm here to strike a deal for the return of Kuhalan's soul. And Emer's like, I don't do deals with people like you. You know, she's very much the noble queen and she's standing her ground. And he's like, well, I think you will. Um, if you want Kuhalan's soul to come back to you because it has been fished, it has been netted, it has been taken by the she, then you must renounce your claim on him. You must renounce your only jealousy. And it's fascinating, the title, The Only Jealousy of Emer, because how it's interpreted in the play is her only claim. In other words, she would put up with all the infidelities. She would put up with all the crap being left or neglected or whatever over the years, as long as, long as he recognized her as his queen as his wife. And he has always recognized her as his queen and his wife. Um, so the only person who could really renounce that would be Emer. And Emer is full, is, is, is troubled to the core with this. She, she has a lot of anger, obviously, and resentment about him, but she loves him. She loves him unconditionally. She loves him so much that she brought slutty Ithna Incuba back to try to like revive him. So, um, but here she has to renounce her claim on him if he's to live again. And after some thought, she says, yes. She says, if he may live, I am content, content that he shall turn on me, if but the dead will set him free. But if the dead will set him free, I ask that I may speak with him at whiles, speak to him who has eyes that the cold moon or the harsh sea have made cold, or what I know nots have made indifferent. So in other words, what she's saying in that moment is that if he may live, I will be content that he shall turn on me, but the dead have got to set him free. But I ask that, thy, that I may also speak to him from time to time. And I know that his eyes will be as cold as the moon. They will be as cold as the harsh sea. And I may just talk about nothings. I, I, I don't even know what I would talk about, but at least that I would have the freedom to talk about those things in his presence, even in if in his presence, he is indifferent towards me. And Rikru uh, says to him, what a wise silence has fallen in this dark. And it's an extraordinary line. What a wise silence has fallen in this dark. In other words, he says, yes, not only will you, will you renounce him and we will return his soul to his body, but how wise your silence you know, that you would never tell him who you are or try to remind him um, how wise that silence is. And it's his way of saying to her, it's a respect for how much she loves him. And in that moment, um, one of the horses appears from the ocean and, and it, it returns with the soul of Kuhalan and it's restored back to the body and Kuhalan wakes you know, and he, of course, sees Ethna Inguba, his mistress, and he's like, oh, I've missed you, you know, and so he holds her and he kisses her and he's like, it's so good to be back with you again. And Emer is left there standing, watching this. Um, it's not a moment that a lot of modern day audiences would take sitting down, but 
it's an extraordinary image, this, or, or it's an image that I wanted to demonstrate for the idea of renouncing and sacrifice. Mars in Virgo is a soldierly Mars. Um, it does what it's told. And it's very precise and it's very exact and specific in the way that it attacks things. And it will fight for what it's right to the extent that it can go. It's opposition to Neptune. And in astrology, Neptune is associated with the supernatural realm, like the realm of the she. It's associated with the invisible forces in our life that we can't really describe, but we know are really there. But Neptune isn't just about the supernatural and the difference between this world and the next. Neptune is also about ambiguity. It's about dilemmas. It's about those places that we go where our moral compass falls short, where the things that we think we should do are suddenly rendered irrelevant, where we can't make sense or tell the direction of what will get us out of this labyrinth something which is very similar to where Emer finds herself by the side of her husband, Kuhalan. And so what she is asked to do in order to free his soul from the she and to return it to the body is to renounce her only claim, her only jealousy. And she does this, and she does this out of love for him. You may find yourself in a situation this week where you are standing at the shore's end. You are standing as far as you can go on the shore and what stands before you is the open sea. And it's an open sea of ambiguity. It may be, you may be asked by someone in a relationship to, uh, with you to renounce your claim on the relationship, okay? I mean, you may have a literal translation of the predicament that Emer finds herself in, uh, someone who's in a relationship with you may ask you to renounce the relationship or to let them go or to let them free. And you may have to look into your heart and soul and see if you can really do that. You may have to renounce someone that you have tried to save or whose life you've tried to salvage, or it may even be a situation that you've tried to make work and that you've realized that you're slicing at the tops of waves and you're being drawn under and that, that you're going to go completely under unless you release, you renounce, you say, that's everything that I can do. These are situations that go against our willpower, okay? These are situations that go against our Mars. Our Mars wants to come out of our willpower or Mars is, is a stubborn insistence, okay, towards, towards achieving a goal. But when Mars stands on the shore and, it's, and, and it faces an enormous ocean, it cannot win, it cannot prevail. And so that's where the renouncing and the sacrifice both come in. These are not easy situations. These are probably going to be painful situations or morally ambiguous situations. But if any of this makes any sort of sense to you or is recognizable to you in your life, what the stars are asking you to put aside is your willpower, 
is your anger, is your resentment, is your history, the years that have gone into the situation, the blood, sweat, and tears that you have spent. And the stars are asking you to renounce that because it's only by renouncing that that you will be free. What you may have on the other side of that is an indifference. You know, you may be, okay, I've let this person go or I've let this situation go. I'm not feeling particularly recognized or I'm not feeling particularly heroic or I'm not feeling particularly redeemed, but give it a while, give it some time because what you will come to recognize in the weeks ahead is that you've renounced or given up something very near and dear to you. But in the process of it, you have also saved your soul. Your weekly horoscope is brought to you by Astrology Hub. If you'd like more extended personalized guidance from Christopher by Sunsign and Rising, Make sure you subscribe to receive the free weekly horoscope delivered via email to your inbox each Sunday. Just go to astrologyhub.com horoscope and start receiving even more free personalized guidance today. That's astrologyhub.com horoscope. And if you love what we do and would like to support our work, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us some stars. And if you feel inclined, leave us a review. It does so much to help us get quality astrology out to the world, and we're grateful for all the time that you take to do this. Thank you for listening in today, and as always, thank you for making astrology a part of your life.